Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the My Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. If you're thinking about some new windows or doors, let me give you some assistance with where to start. First of all, you got to go with Pella. That's obvious. And with Pella, there are a couple of directions you can go to get things cracking. Number one, you can schedule a free in-home consultation. That's right, free. You can get a Pella expert to come out, sit down with you, look at your home, and they're going to be able to put a Tom Osborne-esque game plan together that fits your budget, your wants, and your needs. That's one option. Or you can head out to their showroom. you got showrooms in Omaha and Lincoln. The showroom's really cool, man. Sometimes it actually helps to see the window, see the door, open it, close it to get a better feel for exactly what you are installing in your home. So the showroom is a good place to start as well. Any direction you go, just know that Pella can 100% provide window and door solutions to any home. So check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good pals at Runza. Runza has an app. They do. Go to the app store like right now and download it because you can order food on the app. You can have it ready to pick up in the restaurant. You can earn points for rewards. In fact, when you download the app, you can get five bucks off your first order in the app. It's one of the best apps of all time. So go download the Runza app. Get Runza, get rewards, then get more Runza all on the app. Runza makes it all better. Okay, welcome back into the podcast. Appreciate everybody continuing to support the pod. Uh, If you missed it, had a great conversation, a great podcast that I just dropped with uh, Bruce Rasmussen. Uh, He reflected on his career, uh, his time at Creighton, nearly three decades as athletic director. If you missed that, go check that out. Also have a great uh, conversation with Mitch Sherman. uh, that, That was great. Have a... Husker Classic Recaps, 2001 Oklahoma, Nebraska, 93 Nebraska, Florida State. Just got a bunch of stuff that's really good on the podcast feed to make sure you go check it out. And with football season, Husker kickoff rapidly approaching, man, we're going to be ready to knock it out of the park. So just make sure you subscribe to the pod. That way you don't miss any of the great content because we have a great pod on deck today. Sam McEwen, Omaha World Herald, is my guest of the day. He is Sam's one of my favorite guys to read, man. He's insightful. He's well thought out. He's interesting. He's talented. His perspective is one that I value and find extremely thought provoking. I never miss his rewinds every uh, Sunday night, Monday on uh, in, in, in dropping on Omaha.com and in the paper. Um, he's also doing some pods as well. I just I can't believe that I haven't had Sam on my podcast yet. I mean, that's unacceptable. So I had to holler at Sam and get him on, man. This was a a great chat, as you can imagine. Good Husker football deep dive. So let's get to it. Let's do it, man. Here's my podcast chat with Sam McEwitt of the Omaha World Herald. Let's go. All right, on the line now, Sam McEwen, Omaha World Herald sports editor and columnist. He's the host of the Pick 6 podcast and the brand-new Sip and Sam podcast of the brand-new Husker Extra merger with the Lincoln Journal-Star uh, that I really want to get into here, Sam. But first of all, it is, uh, I'm, I'm an avid reader of yours. It is great to catch up. It's been too long since we've, we've, we've talked. How are you, pal? I'm good. I'm good. I believe it has been since I think the first iteration of your show. Yes, it's, it has been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. I back then, by the way, you were with the Nebraska State Paper. 
That's right. So it's, yep. it's I was with this tiny website, which I still love that does not exist anymore. Right. <laughs> um, it, it like went away about about six months after I left there. But uh, but yeah, I'll always be forever thankful to you guys, uh, you and Matt, in part because you guys put me on the radio and it, and it actually helped get visibility for the site and for me. And so um, it was it was a big part of why I'm where I'm at now. Uh, and I'm an avid listener too. I, I've, I've always loved your stuff. Uh, you, you, you're, you're actually funny. Most sports people don't, most people in sports media think they're hilarious. Right. They're not, but you are. So like, you know, there's a lot of people who think they think they should have written jokes for a living and they right. shouldn't have, but <laughs> I actually, actually laugh when I listen to your show. Oh, that's funny. I love it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do. I, I think I remember the first time we had you on. I mean, it took all of like a minute to be like, "This guy's, this guy's really good," you know. And so it's Aww. been it's been fun to watch your your journey, man. I mean, to get to get to where you're at. This has been this has been a blast. And like, I, I wrote this down. I don't know if uh, I'm going to ask some selfish questions as much as I learn as you got to give what the people want. But I want I, what, what's your process? I'm always curious what whether it's other radio hosts, other podcast hosts, other writers. What's your process like day to day? Are you one of those people that likes to consume other writers and radio shows and podcasts? Do you try to just stay focused and not get clouded with too many other opinions so you stay clear on what you think? What's your process like day to day as you are kind of like you know, going through and, and trying to figure out what the next rewind is going to be or what the next story is going right. to be? Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, I probably, you know, I try to stay fairly locked in on what I think most of the time. Um, you know, I will read quite a bit uh, from a lot of different sources uh, on national sports topics. Right. Um, you know, and I read a lot of Big Ten stuff. Locally, I would say that I eventually listen and read just about everything. And there are times when I'm like, yeah, that was, yeah, I didn't even think of that. Um and so, but I usually try to do it after the fact. So after, after I've, um, you know, consumed uh, my own thoughts and written those down, usually it's after the fact that I start looking at other people's stuff because I don't want, just like you said, I, I don't really want to um, have some other thought process rattling around in there. Um, I, you know, I like, I like reading other people's things. Uh, you know, we've done the Sip and Sam showdown a couple of times. It's been interesting because I've never really done a back and forth with Sip and he'll tell you this. So we, it's not like we talk, right. talked much yeah. at practice or anything. And so like, I've never, you know, really had an exchange with him about a lot of these topics. And so like, you know, for the most part, I, I'll listen to other people, uh, but I kind of do it like all in one burst, um, probably over, you know, a morning. I'll, I'll, I'll try to knock out interviews or read a bunch of stuff from the week. Um, I spend a lot of time uh, honestly reading about culture and uh, politics right. and yeah, like policy. I, I, sure. I'm fascinated by government and politics and things like that. And so I probably spend <laughs> quite a bit of time doing that on top of the sports stuff. So I, I like sports as a, uh, what do you want to call it? As part of a, a segment of society. Like mm -hmm. I love that stuff. And so, you know, even though Nebraska, and Nebraska football is a segment of society. So like I treat it that I try to treat it that way at times. And, um, but yeah, that's kind of my process. Right. Yeah. I like it. I mean, I, I've, you know, I think you're always trying to kind of tinker and, and, 
and figure out exactly what it works for you and your process. I've gotten to where I've tried to consume as much as I can, you know, mm-hmm. like I just, just cause you know, you get inspired, you'll get a, a thought will come in your head. Sometimes you'll be listening to someone else talk about, so I'll listen to you on severe and bending and you guys will hit onto something that'll not necessarily say, I want to, Oh, I need to talk about that. Like something right. you will say will spark. Well, I want to talk about the, you, you never know where these ideas will come from. And it has been cool to listen to you and you and sip you you you've had two episodes drop. You had the, uh, the the second one I I think it dropped today. You guys talked about Adrian Martinez. Um, talk about uh, t- the floor is yours. Talk about this this Hus- Husker Extra merger with the Lincoln Journal Star and and what it is and 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 all that good stuff. Okay, so it, it's we we are owned by the same parent family, obviously the Enterprises, and I think the the general idea for a while has been this that you have two really really good sports organizations in the Lincoln Journal Star and your Omaha World Herald. Who are, who are good at covering Nebraska sports, but particularly Nebraska football. And so how can we leverage uh, those combined staffs while we still have our own identities? And I think this is one of the strengths of it, is that there's World Herald coverage of Nebraska athletics and the Journal Star coverage is a little different. Mm-hmm. And I think people who read us over time know that. They can kind of see a different perspective both ways. And so... The thought process is let's let's combine those forces, one, and two, let's let's create a couple of unique things that you can't get at other either site. And one of those is the podcast. There's going to be more things coming like tech services and things like that. But the podcast, I think, is sort of the the beginning of that. And I think everybody can see that when when we that when we put the two of us in a studio and again, the advantage to this is we. I mean, I actually, you know, I, I have lots of good conversations with Sipple over time, honestly, about other things other than Nebraska. But we haven't sat in a room and talked a lot to each other about the stuff that we write about. And so, like, we come in and it's it's a little bit different yeah. than a lot of shows because we haven't spent years in cars together, like, going over the same terrain. And so I think we're a little bit new to one another in that way. And I think it's going to... It makes for an interesting dynamic, uh, and we'll see how it develops over time. I think people thought we were going to completely disagree with one another, and so far we haven't. <laughs> right? We're going to come to that. Yes. I, I think there's, I think there's distinctly different perspectives that the two of us have. Some of that's rooted in more in the past. We probably would have disagreed every day about Bopolini, right. uh, but but we will disagree as time goes on. Yeah, it's been fun to listen to, you know, through the through the two episodes, and I think it's amazing. I remember when when Chick and Nick started, there was this concern because you know, unsportsmanlike conduct with Kevin and Michael was was still on. And I was like, oh my god, now we're gonna have eight hours of unsportsmanlike conduct. I mean, you just right. or, or, and it's the thing you find it wasn't out at is all. it wasn't at all right, and, I, and, I, and I, yeah, no. completely different. And I think the same of what you're saying about the difference with the Lincoln Journal start. You're different than Sip. And yeah. and Dirk is different than Parker. I know it's different kind of beats oh, yeah. or whatever, but like I think the one thing that's cool is how you you can have a pool of eight plus writers or whatever it is, and and everybody comes at it a little different, which makes it which makes it fun. I think we as just consumers of great sports media covering Nebraska, like I I think it's great, man. Yeah, me too. I I, I think people are going to subscribe over time. Um, it'll take a little bit of time, sure. I think, just because, hey, we're, we're, we're ironing out the, the website. But 
the podcast has been really popular so far. So good, like we've good. gotten really, really good feedback on that. Well, everybody should go check it out. Sip and Sam Showdown. There's two episodes out. Both both of them are really good. And I the one of the your very first topic on the very first podcast with Sip is where I want to start our conversation. And one of the okay. reasons I want to continue that conversation is because I was listening to the Yahoo Sports guys, you know, Pat Forty, Pete Thamel. Uh, yeah. th- those guys, and, and they talked about Scott Frost and being on the hot seat. And some of those Yahoo guys on their podcast saying, were saying that he needs to get to seven wins. And, man, I, I don't – maybe I am in, in a Husker bubble and seeing what I want to see. I, I don't think he's on the hot seat, barring a, just a catastrophic year, you know, where they win three or four games. But I, I kind of liked how you and Sip discussed it. I mean, what – I do think there's maybe a disconnect from the national perspective on this topic compared to the local perspective. How do you kind of size all that stuff up as we head into year four of Frost? National reporters are going to look at Frost as an entity and make him synonymous with Nebraska, which I understand that. I I would probably do it too. When I look at Michigan, for example – I don't think of all I I don't think of all the other things around Jim Harbaugh. I just think Jim Harbaugh. And so what I would say is that the conversation about Nebraska football, the crap that happened before Scott got there is not on Scott's watch. And there was a lot. I mean, it was it wasn't it was Riley, it was Bo, it was Callahan, it was Peterson, it was all these things. So a lot of the he he didn't have anything to do with it. Um, some of the things that have happened since he's got there are on. I think he would have benefited from a slightly stronger hand in the athletic department than Bill Moose was, especially in handling a few situations like Maurice Washington, to be honest with you, because I think that wasted a lot of Scott's time. Uh, And Scott made allowed that to waste his time. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, this isn't just about Frost. This is about the whole operation. Trev Alberts has said this a couple of different times, and I think he's a key part of this conversation. And what I would say is, to me, it's a two-year evaluation of Scott that you you I, I agree that if it's catastrophic, if it's two and nine or three, you know, if it's three and nine, he's got to go because then there's no hope and recruiting falls off a map, and you know you got four commits going into next season and it's just no good. Um, but I don't think they're going to have that kind of season. First of all, I think they're going to have they're going to win at least seven games. I believe that. Second of all, if you win five or six, I think getting rid of Scott and, and moving on to somebody else that quickly has threatens to destabilize everything that he has built over the course of three years. It just does. And to me, the conversation is not merely about, well, is Scott the right guy? But does, does Frost have all the people around him who can maximize his potential and make him the best head coach he can be? And that goes all the way up to the athletic director, to the operations people, to the associate athletic directors, um, all the rest, you know, and and his assistant coaches. Mm -hmm. Case in point, the jersey thing earlier this week. I don't know how much you paid attention to this. And it's a small, stupid thing. But it's it's an example. they, They advertise on the football Twitter account. There's going to be a jersey reveal in Havelock. An area I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with being from. They block off the street. They the people get there. The media is there, and Nebraska's people say you can't show any of this. We'll lose our jobs. And I'm like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It, it's a minor thing, and it probably never hit Scott's desk. 
But two days later, you got the little red uniform thing going out there and you have these, you know, all these rumors. And I'm like, this this is precisely what happens. Is it now it's it's some dumb thing that that's out there that's not true. The uniforms look honestly a lot like a Utah Utes alternate uniform. They're not and the helmets are very cool. They're pretty standard. And nobody knows that because of the way that they handled this ridiculous jersey reveal rollout. And so, although that is a tiny, a tiny minor thing, it's nevertheless an example of like how, goodness gracious, I mean, guys, get, let's just get these things right. And they, they struggle with that. And so I, it's a two-year conversation on Frost. It's a one-year conversation on almost every one of his assistants, though. Right. I think those guys have to produce now, or you cannot bring the same 10, 11 guys back if – and I'm talking mostly the offense here, let's sure. be honest. Right, right, uh, right. <laughs> I mean, the defense is kind of, it has gotten better. But you can't bring everybody back if you go five and seven or six and six because people don't, six and six might get you to a bowl, but it's not good enough long term. You know, it's just, it still is just amazing to me that that we're having these types of conversations. Not to say they're not valid, they absolutely are. But I mean, I, I felt like when Frost was hired, there was this almost exhale for me and I think a lot of the fans that they were going to get out of the drama business and get out of the hot seat business and all that stuff. But, and I think some of that, Sam is, you know, the fans had a full take of patience when Scott Frost arrived and that patience is almost empty now. And, and beyond just the losses, I think what has drained the patience are these two things, sloppiness and offensive aggression, like beyond everything else. Like now I'm just talking about the product on the field. Like, I think fans are a little more sane than people want to paint them out to be. They just want to see a well-coached team, as much as it pains me to say it, because you know I, I want to see the program succeed. They've not yes. looked like a well-coached team. And then when the the I and you want to see the identity of the program flourishing, like when when Bo Pelini and the defense, when the defense started to f- fall apart. Now, what are you really, what are you really kind of leaning on? What are you pointing at? And I think, I think those two things, beyond everything else, have drained the patience of the fans mightily. Absolutely, yes. Um, last year, you know, there are turning points in everyone and every coaching, you know, every coaching uh, tenure. Honestly, the turning point for Mike Riley came very early, and people never really changed their thought process, and that was Illinois. Yeah, his very first year. Yep. And I think the thought process was, if you can screw that up as much as that play did, what the hell is going on? Right. And, and it was true from then all the way till the end of his time there. There was a lot of what the hell is going on moments within that program that increased exponentially once Bob Diaco got there. Um, with Bo, it was the 2012 Big Ten Championship. You know, he talked a lot, of, you know, and, it, you know, he, he'd taken a, a senior-laden team. They rallied. All season long, people, it was a thrill ride, actually. It was kind of fun. Then they got there, and they got beat by a pretty bad Wisconsin team. And I saw it change in my email inbox. For Frost, that turning point, honestly, was that Illinois game last year. Um, I think the reaction that I got from fans after that game is, this this is not, how can you lose that game? And one thing that I think is true of Nebraska fans is, yeah, they want to win the really big games, but you better not lose the games you shouldn't lose. And Northern Illinois, Illinois last year, firing a coach. I mean, Lovey Smith was out the door. Purdue in, in 2015 when Daryl Hazel was out the door. Um, 
those kind of losses really sting Husker fans. You, you can't lose the ones that everybody thinks you should win. And maybe Nebraska fans are a little arrogant in that way. Maybe I'm a little arrogant as a person who covers the program. But you can't lose to Troy and Northern Illinois and a bad Illinois team and expect people to have patience. They want you to win the ones you should win. And so people can have grace for Oklahoma and Ohio State this year. They can. Do you remember Ohio State won 52-17 to 17 last season? And people were like, oh, yeah, you know, Nebraska hung with them for a yeah, half, yeah. which is true. Right. Um, it was 52-17, to 17, guys. But, you know, people were like, they were okay with that. They bought into the, the schedule's not fair. It's too hard. It's not fair to play Ohio State right away. But then when you, then when you lose by 18 to Illinois, people, the grace is gone. Right. People lose it. They're just like, yeah, no, not going to, not going to do this. Uh, and, and that's where he's at right now. He, he's got to beat Illinois. That's a huge game for this program. The very first one. The Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. Everybody that knows my athletic background, you know, as a quarterback, in high school, but you know, I believe in establishing the run game. And even more than that, I believe in establishing the runs game. That's an original runs of cheeseburger, some onion rings, double dipped in a homemade batter, little bit of a pop to top it off. You know, in football, you establish a run, but at lunch you establish the runza. It's just that simple. So get out to runza today and establish the runza game or Check out the delicious salads. You got the chicken bacon ranch salad, sweet berry chicken salad, and my personal favorite, the Southwest chicken salad. You got to get out to Runza, establish a Runza game, or get a salad. Either way, you are going to leave satisfied. Runza makes it all better. You're a big numbers guy, but the one number that is hard to quantify in kind of what we're talking about is just that confidence, momentum, collective belief. Like the one thing Sam Barrett has been consistently saying to me for years on and off the record is he keeps on saying, we just need to build some momentum. We got to get these guys to believe we got to get it kind of rolling. And of all the things that have eluded Nebraska under frost, it's that momentum and confidence has to be up there. I mean, it's pretty amazing to say out loud that in three years, they have not been able to win three games in a row. And it's, it's just, they at some point, and they have an opportunity here with that makes that Illinois game huge because if you beat Illinois, you now could win three in a row heading to Oklahoma. And but yet you just they haven't been able to capture that momentum at all. Yeah, no, not at all. And I think if the offense was more stable, and by stable I mean like right down to the personnel, I think the defense, which has shown steady improvement, including Barrett's room, I, th- I think they've gotten better and better. I think he would probably tell you, even though they don't have Mohamed Barry right now, they're going to be better in 2021 than they were in 2019 at that position um, because they've got good players who also know the system. Um, the defense has made that steady improvement, Nick. They've made it. No question. The problem is the offense has been volatile. And I mean volatile even from a personnel standpoint. Um, we grew up on a Nebraska football program where you pretty much knew every single week the running back and you could memorize the previous 10 IBACs who were in. I mean, I can, I can do that now. I mean, I just like Ken Clark, Derek Brown, Calvin Jones. Right. It wasn't a long It was Lawrence Phillips, Clinton's Childs, Amon Green. Like you did that. That's what you knew. The IBAC was the star of the team. Tommy Frazier changed that a little bit, but before that it was the running back. That's the guy you wanted to be in the yard. They don't, they haven't known who that guy is in this program really, really, if we get right down to it, since Amir left. I know Devine had 1,000 yards in 2018, but he wasn't the starter until midseason. And so they haven't had 
you know, a Rex or an Amir or a Roy Hulu in, you know, seven years. And that volatility is not good. You want to have somebody back there. Your running back is like the toughest guy on the team in some ways, and they don't have that guy. They're volatile quarterback. Like Adrian has been up and down as a player, and he's been out, uh, I think, six games in the last three years. And so they've played Adrian and Noah and Luke and Andrew Bunch. And, like, they, they've had to put all of these different guys in there. They, they're volatile at wide receiver. Who is their number one receiver? They, it's Wandale. Last year, he's gone. Now they have a new one that they're going to have to figure out. So the volatility of personnel on that side of the ball, that some of that, some of that is not on Frost because when he got here, the, the, the cupboard was empty at wide receiver, empty. And um, he had to refill that. But some of it is because the running back position, they've just made mistakes. Like they, they, they've just missed on guys. Uh, they, 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 they picked, they brought Maurice in eyes wide open. They knew exactly what they were getting there, and it turned out to be, you know, kind of a disaster. And um, not because of his talent either. And some of the other guys they picked haven't panned out. Meanwhile, Brees Hall, uh, the stepson of Jeff Smith, is at Iowa State, and he's the best running back in the country. And Nebraska could have had him, and they didn't get him because they decided to get these other guys. So there's just volatility. And if they can fix that, they'll actually fix some of the issues that they have. Yes. Um, and they'll fix the personal personnel. Volatility is part of it. And then they've got to fix the little things. Cam Jurgens can't have a bad snap anymore. You just can't, he just can't do it. Um, that's an infuriating thing. And I th- my understanding is it's been fixed and it's going to remain fixed, but you know, we'll see what happens in the game. You know, I think we're in lockstep because I've my, the way I've looked at it is, you know, the, you use the word volatility. The volatility or kind of whiffing at certain spots have created a, created a domino effect. Like when you miss on running backs and wide receivers, like now all the little things do become magnified. Like my analogy has been Nolan Richardson at Arkansas, you know, is a whole 40 minutes of hell. Well, if right. you're going to do that, you better have the personnel that can, that, you know, that can pressure, create turnovers, guard multiple positions – or what you're going to end up looking at is teams are just going to be shooting layups and wide open threes because you can't pressure anybody, right? Like, right. So I think what a lot of this comes down to is they have whiffed on running backs, whiffed on wide receivers, and then, yeah. Sam, what that does is that magnifies all of the other shortcomings in the program, special teams, sloppiness, penalties. It's hard to overcome those things when you aren't averaging 40 to 45 points per game. And <clears throat> so I, I – I think that I like that word. I think the volatility and I'd add whiffing at running back and wide receiver. I think a lot of the issues can get boiled down to those two spots. Yeah, they can. Now, let me say this about special teams. I think Scott is going to be here in five years. He's good. He's going to be. They're going to be one of the best special teams programs in the country in five years. And part of what I would say is where Scott is learning as a head coach a little bit is that phase. Right. Um, I think in Oregon, they were they beat the crap out of so many teams that it didn't matter that much. And you, people can recall when Chip Kelly was there, they lost a game, a big game, because uh, they missed field goals. And they hadn't taken many that year, and they, they needed to make a couple, and they didn't. That was one thing. Then we went to UCF. Again, probably had the best talent in the league. Didn't need it. When the game style that, that Frost wants to play – and I'll use a basketball analogy here, is closer to Michigan State or North Carolina. Take the ball out of the basket, run, 
get a lead, keep a lead, win by 10. You might give up 80, but you got you scored 90. And so the philosophy that Frost brought to Nebraska was if we can if we can win that game theory in the first quarter, then we don't really maybe need to do some of the other things that you often have to do to win these minutely close games. Well, they haven't done that. The system hasn't worked in part because of the running backs and wide receivers. And as a result, the special teams weaknesses were magnified. Yes. And I think Frost is learning. And I, I don't want to, I mean, the guy's older than me and he knows way more of the football than I've ever known. So let's be clear that I don't know what he knows, but what I can see in camp from the two th- times we watched camp, I couldn't glean much, but I could glean that they cared about special teams and I could glean that Mike Dawson is hell on wheels. Right. I mean, he walks up and down those lines and it's just a whole different vibe from, you know, the guy off the field who couldn't really do anything that I, I have to have a hard time believing anyone really respected. And I'm not trying to be mean. No, I but know. It's <laughs> yeah. How do you respect an off the field analyst during a COVID year who can barely do anything because mm-hmm. he's not an assistant. Right. So Frost has learned there. I think they're, I don't think they're going to be great this year, but I think they'll be better. And I think in five years, it's, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be Bill Snyder, but I think it's going to be pretty close. I, I think they're going to be a lot, lot better at special teams than they were. And as a result, um, it'll show growth in him. There were still things he had to learn when he got here. He was only a third year head coach. And we probably should have given a little bit more grace for that. He probably should have not talked quite as, yeah confidently as yep. he did his athletic director acted like the circus was coming to town and was going to auburn and you know in right. fall city and saying that urban meyer was on the run which was not a helpful thing to say yeah. so you know I, I think there's the messaging could have been a little different but i think over time you're going to find that he gets a lot better at that particular thing he's learning right. i think that the guy that we've talked to in the last six to nine months is a different head coach than the guy that came in in 2018 yeah, I, it, it th- you think about the you know the special teams and it just kind of it wasn't of of great importance. Think about the school he was you know he kind of his coaching acumen came about under was that it was Oregon and they went for two every time they scored. They think did. about that. They didn't care. They didn't care about leaving points out there because they knew they were going to score again. So that's just a little snapshot of in the in the window. Not saying maybe Frost deep down inside was calling going for two plays, and he didn't want to do that. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. that was where he grew as a coach. Was he was in this environment? They're like, ah, fuck it, go for two every play. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, right. you know what I mean? And yes, and that yes. that school of thought is can stick with you. It did. I think it did. I mean, I I think that the team that we saw in 2018 was the closest. Um, to a Frost team that he had had prior to coming here. That team could score. Uh, Adrian played free. He was he he didn't have as much weight on him. Um, that team looked like a team that was building, and we all kind of saw it. And we're like, oh, here comes that offense, They're scoring thirty points a game. Late in the season, they got Iowa on their heels. Yep. Uh, you know, they dropped fifty on Illinois and Minnesota. Here it comes. And then that following year, it's like, well, here here it hasn't come. And the, one of the reasons is, and people, you know, two guys who were not drafted, Devine Zigbo and Stanley Morgan, remain by a wide margin the best running back and receiver that Nebraska's had since Frost got here. And he inherited both of those guys, <laughs> right? He inherited them. So 
that was that was that's a problem. Right. And I think um, I think Scott has struggled to get that elite player. Some of that's on a coach who's no longer here, the wide receivers coach Trey Walters. And some of that's on Held, and I like Ryan Held. Mm-hmm. And I think you can you hear him talking in camp, and he sounds like he's in the boiler room, right. like he's like he knows that his you know his job's on the line, and he's trying to sell you know somebody over the phone. I mean, it's like it's it's intense, you know. And so I get it. He's really trying to coach these guys up fast because for about thirty seconds there in spring, you know, Jack Yant was the number one back, and Hell didn't really recruit him. <laughs> that was right. that was a walk on connection from Travis Fisher. And imagine, you know, being in like a sales office, Ooh. like the your top client is some guy that there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> Take this guy over here. Yeah. And this is your top client now. You know, like that's uh, Held's working his ass off, I think, to right. to to work with the guys that he recruited that he believes in. Yeah, too. But you look at Sevian Morrison and he looks a hell of a lot better uh, than he did. And I think Gabe Irvin's a hit. So I am probably more optimistic. People may be surprised. This is Sam from the World Herald. I'm more optimistic, I think, than a lot of people um, because I'm pretty rigorous about the objectives. Like, I'm like, this is what I think the team needs to be. This is where I think they need to go. Uh, and I'm not very dubious. I think they're going to get there. Um, now, it may not. It may fall apart if they lose at Illinois. All bets are off. But if they win that game, they start three and zero, which they will if they win in Illinois. Um, they can they can withstand whatever happens at Oklahoma. If right. it's even if it's a total crap show, they can withstand it and they can move on with their season. And I, if you were asking me what they're going to start over the first six games, I still think it's going to be five and one. I still think they're going to start five and one. And if they do that, all they got to do is win two of the last six. Right. And, and I think they yeah. can. I think they can pull two. Um, more than that, we'll see, but I think they can win two of them. Right. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, I'm more, I'm higher on, I'm more optimistic about this season. I think some of the, some, some other people are, I, wh- okay. So you touched on a couple of th- like, which, which of these three issues then would you bet on improving this year, running back production, special teams or pass rush? Special teams. Okay. I think they'll get better there. I think they're going to have a kickoff specialist, who, whether it's Kellen Meyer or it's Brendan Frankie. They'll have someone who can kick it into the end zone and kick it all the way out. That may change as the season goes on. Uh, Meyer may be a guy that comes on later. Um, but I think they're going to be better there. Um, I think they're probably going to sh- change the way they handle kickoff return because as bad as kickoff has been, if you watch Nebraska's kickoff return the last couple of years, they have they appear to have no idea what they're doing on that on that play. Mm-hmm. I mean, none. I'm not sure they've had any idea what they've been doing for most of the last six years. But at least when JD Spielman was back there, you could sense JD had good vision and was able to navigate. Um, but you know that they've really struggled at that at that position. Uh, it, that particular play has been rough. I think they're getting better there. And then if I was going to rank it after that, uh, I'd go running back production. Um, that may surprise people to, to hear it, but I, th- I think their running back situation is much better than it was last year. Um, they loved Diedrich Mills when he was healthy, but I think they got tired as hell of yeah. Mills constantly right. being hurt mm-hmm. or whatever it was. And, you, 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 you know, you can't make the club from the tub. And, and of course, he wasn't in the tub all the time, and he – he grew up in a tough situation and, and battled through some injuries, but my goodness, he was banged up a lot. 
Yes. And that, that hurt him. Like they were frustrated with that and he was banged up for two years. And so I think they're, I don't think they're going to run into that this year. And then the pass rush, eh, they're going to tell you that Mike Dawson's done a really good job of coaching everybody guy up, which I think is accurate. They're going to be a little bit better there, but the reality is that they just haven't recruited that badass pass rusher yet. And one of the guys who might be blaze Gunnerton is also, he's banged up all the time. So he's banged up now. So uh, they don't have that sort of Randy Gregory, Kyle Vandenbosch, Mike Ruckert. They don't really have that player right, right now. Right. The Dick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. And I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go into Pella's website right now, you look at it. And how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors. By Pella, won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple-pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. I thought a fascinating little wrinkle, and I'm trying to remember when this, this little nugget came out from Frost, was him divulging that he had split some of the play calling duties. Like I, yeah. I thought that was like, whoa, okay, that that's that's interesting to me. Like and and that's kind of a hard thing to continue to talk about because nevertheless we don't know we don't get a a origin of each play call for each each play of each game. So it's hard to know. But like I thought that was interesting and I can here's a question for you. Can can Scott Frost stay aggressive offensively and stay true to what he wants this offense to be while giving the defense, who I think we're both pretty high on this year, yeah, while still am. giving the defense a chance to win them the game? Are those two things at odds? A little bit. How does yeah. that who, – who wins that tug and pull, you think? Uh, you know, I mean, if they it, – if they can run the ball, then aggression becomes a lot easier. So if you can just run the ball downhill and you stick to it, you can you can pull that ball and you can throw it over the top. And that's aggression. Like, it'll look different, but it won't be, all right, five wides, you know, um, this guy's going to run a, gonna run a you know, deep corner. This guy's going to gonna post and a post. And, you know, it, that's, that's his natural inclination is to go fast, to throw short, short, long. Um, you know, he does that stuff. But I think if you run the ball downhill, you can still get aggressive um, in choice spots. Uh, and Tim Beck did some of that when mm-hmm. he was at the offensive coordinator at Nebraska. And they were able to they were able to hit some big plays. Um, do they have the whatever to, to do what they were doing when Adrian was a freshman and basically have four receivers and a running back who was Maurice Washington, which means five receivers? Mm. I don't know. They can do it. I think if they want to, but I, at the same time, I think they, Matt Lubick, who is like the analyst you bring in when you're on the brink of nuclear war, and 
he sort of he sort of looks at the angles and everything that's going <laughs> on and 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 kind of gives you the readout. Um, I think Lubick has has maybe tempered some of that a little. I think his job is to give some structure to the offense that maybe um, you know loose and freewheeling for us. And so I think Lubick's come in and probably given them some. Everybody kind of saw that pass concept they did last year, where it was where it was sort of a two crossing routes that would stop in the stop routes, and then there was a wheel route, and then there was a little roll in the flat, and then there was another roll, there was another route over the middle. That passing concept, they used it a lot, and it was effective, and Adrian liked it, and Lubick's able to sort of install things like that. Um, and then Lubick's helped him, I think, with tight end, tight end production. Now, we'll see how the tight ends are, right? Austin Allen and Travis Oakwood weren't in camp I, on Wednesday. I think Allen's going to be all right. Um, we'll see about Vokalek. Uh, but he's able to install some things in their in their offense that kind of stabilizes it a little bit. So I, what I would say is Nebraska's offense is moving toward – when Frost came into the league, he was Oklahoma. He was, he was Oklahoma. I think they're moving toward Notre Dame. And Notre Dame runs a spread, but it's called a power spread. And it's I think what, what Nebraska's going to do is closer to what Notre Dame does. And I don't know that I would describe Notre Dame as a huge big play offense, but they can go get them when they need them. Right. Sam, when you were you guys have been doing the you know the Husker camp countdown of players and ranking yeah. the players. It's always it's always interesting to do those kinds of exercises because you can sometimes you may think a certain way and then after diving through the roster you may come come away thinking something different how do you feel about Nebraska's talent on the roster because there is always this talent versus coaching discussion that permeates amongst a lot of Nebraska circles doing that exercise what did you walk away from feeling about Nebraska's talent it's 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 better than it's been in a while it's better than much of the Big Ten West and it is talent that I would describe as maybe 10 to 15% slower than what they may have had four or five years ago, but 10 to 15% bigger. So you think about the toggles on the football game. They've made the guys a little bigger, and they've taken the speed down from about 91 to 87. And I don't think they're going to be the fastest team in the Big Ten West. That's still probably going to be Purdue. Um but I think they're probably up there now as one of the biggest. Minnesota is probably still the biggest team. Michigan State always had giants. They were also slow. Um, Nebraska is probably one of the four or five biggest teams in the Big Ten now. Like they have a Wisconsin-Iowa cut to them. And I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. I think the one thing, especially on defense, I think Nebraska's defense has struggled from the day it walked into the Big Ten. And I know they shut down Kirk Cousins one year and this and this and this. And Bo loves talking about that, even still. But the reality was they, they, they did not match up physically um, very consistently in the Big Ten. And I think when, when Frost and his crew, when Shenander got there, they were as small as they have ever been. I mean, they were just – I don't know what Riley was recruiting to, sort of a speed defense. And then when Diaco took over, they were so small and they were just sort of helpless on the field. Like they could not physically – match up and frost talked about that in his first year by by now though they can't you know ty robinson's a man mountain he's six six and i don't even know 315 damian daniels is a big guy six three three twenty jordan riley's their backup nose and he's six six three fifteen 
the, 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 the smallest guy is Ben Stilley. And Ben's about 295. They and he's do. a technician. Yeah. So he can play. But they don't have small guys anymore. So the last of the smalls is, is Ben Stilley and DeAndre Thomas. And after that, everything's big. Right. I mean, you walk by Jalen Weaver. Jalen Weaver is the biggest player in Nebraska football history. It's either him or Patrick Cabongo. And I don't know if people remember Patrick Cabongo, but I do. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's either one of those two guys. Jalen Weaver is unbelievably big. And he doesn't look fat. He's about 380 pounds, I think. But he doesn't look 380 pounds because he's so big. And so this is what they're recruiting now. Ruquan Buckley looks like a fourth-year junior. Um, they're just giant. And big big men are hard to move. They're not going to be great pass rushers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think. But, but they're hard to move against the run, and that's where they're going. So I think the talent is bigger. It's longer, it's stronger, and it's a little slower. And this is, to me, this is Frost learning how to how to operate in the Big Ten versus the AAC. A couple more things to get you out of here, Sam. I, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on the sellout streak. You've kind of written about this a little bit. Because it's interesting because it what's weird is I think sometimes the administration maybe cares about the sellout streak more than the fans do. But it is kind of the last real tangible connection to the past. And I'll give you two movie and TV analogies. So this will be right in your wheelhouse here. Like, I'm sure, okay, I I assume you've seen Breaking Bad. And you remember when Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend dies (laughs) and Jesse is sitting in his car and he keeps calling her cell phone over and over just to hear her voice on her answering machine. And, you know, it's like, she's gone, and that is real, but this voicemail is all Jesse has right now, so he's going to hang on to that and cling to it and obsess with it. That's kind of the sellout streak. Or, if you want to go movies, Castaway, remember when when Hanks finally gets his boat made and he's sailing away from the island and he takes this moment to stare back at the island and he kind of gets emotional as the island fades through the, the clouds and becomes too far away to see... Hell, you could even throw his reaction to Wilson floating away on this, where it's like the they are representations of the past, and sometimes those are hard to let go. And not only are they hard to let go, like now you got to face the moment and the future, which can be which can be equally scary and hard for people. It's the latter. It used to be the former up until about last year. I think it was the former, but now we're getting into the latter. Um, I think Trev Alberts, the new AD is a really uh i don't even know what the right word is he's really smart but he's but he's but he but he's not he doesn't lie to himself and he's not nostalgic really like i he certainly under he loves the time that he was at nebraska and he's a very you know he loves that but i he's not falsely nostalgic i mean this is the guy that went on tv in 2003 and said something that i actually didn't agree with that frank fire and frank was the right thing to do um, this, this is a guy that, that is not like that. And so I think that the thought process on the, on the sellout streak has been for a while, we don't want to lose it because then it means that the people don't care. And so there have been people within the program or not within the program, but boosters and other things like that businesses that buy up some of the tickets, mostly in South and North stadium, mostly seats that are, you know, way the hell out there that are at the top of the stadium that nobody wants to sit in. So that's part of what I think's happened. When you get to Fordham week, the tickets are going to be 10 bucks. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Yeah. 
And so that has, that has been happening, I think for a while. And when you go to the stadium and I don't, you know, I don't know how often you go to home games anymore, but when you go, you see the pockets, you look and you, "Eh, there's about 65,000 people here. There isn't now 65 is losing, you know, people don't want to show up anymore, but at the same time, the most they've ever had in that stadium was about 80. If you're talking scan tickets and that was against Oregon in 2016. They're probably about and, and their their tech their their attendance, quote unquote, is ninety. There's probably about five to six to seven thousand seats in there that don't really get filled and haven't. And when they lose, then it gets down into the sixties. My argument is let the thing lapse. Let it go. And trust that the media and we need to be responsible with this. And I'm already out front on this. We need to be responsible with not blaming somebody for that. I'm not, not, not Scott certainly isn't his fault. Not Riley, not Bo, not Tom Osborne for building the stadium too big. Just, you just don't blame anybody. And you say, who cares why it happened, except that it has. And now let's focus on how do you get, how do you get the crown jewel of this state's sporting enterprise Memorial stadium in a place that is appropriate for its value. Because when you go there, you look at those two end zone seating structures, those are no longer appropriate. I'm fat. I mean, let's be honest. (laughs) You don't want my ass sitting next to you at a game. My mom is not fat. She's like tiny. She can sit in those tiny seats, but a fat me sitting next to her, she don't want to go. They don't right. go to the games anymore. They love them. Right. They were there. They were there for '94 Colorado and '86 Oklahoma. Whenever you know, everybody's flipping off Barry Switzer, they were there for all these incredible games. I met my wife because of these tickets because she was walking through the union with tickets that my parents used to use to go to the Baylor game in '04, and she saw me, and that's how. That's why I'm married. Wow. So that place has a connection to me that's very deep, but it's time. It's time. It's time to tear that south south end zone down, rebuild it, make a cool area with stand-up bars where you sell beer. You can drink a zip line. You can drink whatever you want there, and you've got a patio area, and you've got a little club for people who want to spend extra money to have a sports bar experience. You've got seat backs. You start there. You just start there. And that's going to take time because in 2012, Nebraska made a decision in hindsight, a mistake to expand their stadium instead of reducing the stadium and getting started on the football building. They waited seven years on the football building. Now they got to wait two more years for that. Every other big 10 teams built their football building. One, two, most of them are on an end zone project. Iowa's got theirs. Wisconsin's got theirs. I, I, Wisconsin's is cool. Um, so, you know, Nebraska's a little behind in that way. They're going to get their football building done, and then they're going to reduce. They, they're going to have to work on an end zone project. Until then, you're going to be walking up to Roca and Hickman just to get to your seats because it's a long ways up there. And people, God bless our hearts, Nebraska fans are getting older. Some are passing on. And when they give their tickets to their kids and their grandkids, those kids don't want to go anymore. Right. <laughs> so right. They better figure it out. 
couldn't agree more. Sam, last thing, we'll get you out of here. I really wanted to pick your brain on the on the NIL stuff. Because, again, I, I always feel like i got to preface this because if you don't, people think you're, like, anti-player. I mean, of course, I'm for name, image, and likeness, right? Like, I'm, I'm, of course I'm for it. But I guess my fear has been its inevitable seeping into recruiting and that I fear what college football and college basketball are going to become is a league with no salary cap or guidelines with how you build and construct a roster. And I'm not naive to the fact that I know people have cheated for forever, right? But there have always at least been rules and guidelines in place on how you build your team, build your roster with scholarship, scholarship limits. And I guess with this NIL world, I have no idea what that is really going to look like moving forward, mm-hmm. and that makes me concerned. I mean, some people, oh, you're anti-NIL. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm just concerned about the, I don't know, of competitive integrity of, of at least from the starting point of, of building your roster feels like it could get jeopardized a little bit for me. Oh, and by the way, this SEC monster that's getting built could only exasperate this, you know, like I yeah. – I, I, Talk me off the ledge here with this NIL stuff. Well, I don't want to talk you off it too much because I, I have concerns too. And, you know, I think there's there's a lot of things about it that still need to be worked out. Um, what BYU did in the last two days is a big move. Huge. And B, BYU, uh, there's, a, there's a protein bar guy who is a booster, obviously, who decided to pay – the, the, the tuition or the, the tuition equivalent to all of BYU's athletes, including all of the walk-ons to basically be spokesmen for his uh, pr- protein bar. And that's a lot of money. You know, it's, 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 it's a lot of money. It's like, you know, $500,000. It's like 250,000 for the walk-ons, but it's, it's a half a million dollars otherwise. And um, that's the area that I think becomes a concern. Like in terms of endorsement deals, I've said this on Twitter and I will say it again. Uh, You know, the biggest beneficiary of uh, NIL is SUNY Lee, the gymnast who just won the gold medal and is going to Auburn. Or it's Reagan Smith, the swimmer who just won a gold medal and is going to Stanford. They're going to be the greatest beneficiaries of this because they can literally make, or Gable Stevenson, who just won the gold medal and is going back to Minnesota. these are the biggest beneficiaries of this because they can make whatever money they want. I mean, Sunni Lee is going to make you know, $10 million and she'll also be able to compete for Auburn. So I guess the biggest beneficiary is Auburn because Sunni Lee was going to make that money either way. Um, you know, I, so those, those situations are, are, are truly athlete related. What I'm concerned about is, and I think there are other people are concerned is this is now going to become an operation where that there's, you basically have de facto scholarships. Because you cannot run this stuff through the universities for reasons that I believe are related to, you know, if you run it through the university, then it has to be equitable among all the teams. Because you can't run these things through the universities, you create these kind of side funds and LLC corps over on the side that effectively create a scholarship fund for walk-ons and for additional players. A situation where Alabama has 25 scholarships but they really have 35 scholarship available players because they got, they have a fund and that fund basically pays for the room and board and tuition of 10 more scholarship players to play for Nick Saban. Um, that's the kind of thing that I think the NCA wants to try to stop. 
and it's toothless. The NCA is completely toothless. It has lost all moral confidence in itself, and its member institutions have lost moral confidence in it too. And when something doesn't have moral confidence, it doesn't, it's toothless. It doesn't have any enforcement strategy. And to some degree, you can blame the NCAA for that. To some degree, you can blame the member institutions, and you can also blame the media. We have been mercilessly attacking the NCAA's integrity and its, uh, you know, its, its moral culpability for a long time. And when you do that mercilessly for decades on end, this is what you get. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If the NCAA wants to pull back and wants to be this just you know, vague governmental structure, there's a lot of people who like to be good. The NCAA stinks. It's terrible. It's done this. It's done that. Well, then who's going to run it then? Who's going to run it? Who's going to who's going to create the structure around any of this? And I don't people don't have a lot of answers for that. It can't be Greg Sankey. Greg Sankey can't just run the sport. So people don't have answers yet for that. And they better start thinking of them because the NCAA is on the ropes and that's about the fault of the campus. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. Sam McEwen, Omaha World Herald. Read his stuff. Listen to his podcast, the Pick Six Podcast, and Sip and Sam. Check out the Husker Extra merger with the Lincoln Journal Star. Sam, you know I'm a big fan. Uh, this was awesome. Let's catch up in the season sometime, pal. Absolutely. Just give me a call anytime, and thanks for having me on. I know I can go on some rants, but oh, I love uh, I'm it. passionate about this stuff. I love it, man. I, this is this was perfect, man. Thank you so much. All right, take care. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet, great burgers, cheese Runza, delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.